Beatrice. And I'm Dante. Welcome to Cheating on Fear. Welcome, everybody. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about good men. Aw, so this is a show about Jason Statham. (laughs) He's a good-looking man. Sorry, The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. He seems like a good man. And and, uh, Jason Momoa. Oh yes, he's a very good man. <laughs> but, but but none of them are here. No, so, <laughs> so you're stuck with me then. I I'm not stuck with you, <laughs> legally or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about good men and how men bond. Okay. Because men. There's some good evidence to show that men are in crisis. And there's been sort of a, a, a backlash movement about that, which we'll, you'll hear more about in the next couple of episodes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know you're so looking forward to that. So I wanted to, to, to go here first because I think that it's important to establish um, what kind of man you are and that there are like-minded men and i think there are men that are looking for something and they don't know where to find it okay and hopefully we can help with that a little bit cool so one of the reasons um i wanted to do this was an article that i came across um it's an nbc news article and i'm just gonna if you'll indulge me i'm just gonna share a couple of of snippets from that article when was this article uh i like about 18 months ago Okay, I'm just trying to put it in context of like recent events. Is that around? Is that around the Me Too time or afterwards? Yeah, it was like in the middle of that. So like January okay. of 2019. Okay, yeah. Cool. Um, so it starts out for the first time in its 127 year history. The APA has issued guidelines to help psychologists specifically address the issues of men and boys. And the 36 page document features a warning. Traditional masculinity ideology has been shown to limit males' psychological development, constrain their behavior, result in gender role strain and gender role conflict, and negatively influence mental health and physical health. So the, the next logical question is, what is masculinity ideology? Right. Um, it is a particular constellation of standards that have held sway over large segments of the population, including... Anti-femininity, achievement, eschewal of the appearance of weakness, and adventure, risk, and violence. The report also links this ideology to homophobia, bullying, and sexual harassment. So, you know, one of a lot of the features that kind of are called out from the Me Too movement. Right. Um, but what makes this so troubling, why they need this, is where some of the scary statistics... Um, that have emerged over the last um, little while. So um, men commit approximately 90% of all homicides in the U.S. They are far more likely than women to be arrested and charged with intimate partner violence in the U.S. And they are four times more likely than women to die of suicide worldwide. Hmm. So clearly there's something going on with men. Um, and I, I do not believe that men are bad. I don't believe that they are just by virtue of having a penis, 
you know, destined to be violent and aggressive and harass women and bully people. And like, I just don't believe that. I feel like there's something happening. And that's certainly not the type of man you are, because if you were... You probably wouldn't be sitting across from me behind the microphone. We would not be sitting here right now. No. So I wanted to ask you, like, in, in light of those of those statistics, like, first of all, how does how do you feel hearing that, considering you have two sons and a daughter, hmm. and I have two sons? Well, I mean, it makes it sound like the world's a dangerous place for anybody who interacts with men. Mm-hmm. Given their propensity of for domestic or intimate partner violence, and 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 also obviously there's some issues surrounding like coping strategies. If we see such high suicide rates, there's something contributing to that. And I mean, it's probably a combination of things like expectations, societal expectations, um, cultural pressures, all those kinds of things. I mean, well, I don't want I don't want my boys to become or my daughter to become part of those statistics in in any way of course not but i don't think anybody raises their children to be little assholes and send them out into the world Uh, to become big assholes well i mean if you're an asshole and you don't realize it then maybe like if you don't know how to not raise an asshole if you're the o'doyle family from billy madison (laughs) like are those the only true assholes out there o'doyle rules So I don't like, I don't know. Oh my God, there was so many of them. <laughs> so many levels of shittiness. Yeah, right? But that that's kind of, it, it, it's, it's hilarious that you bring up that example because that was cleverly hidden in comedy, the different levels of shittiness that, and I'm going to use giant air quotes here, the toxic masculine embodies right right when you're young you like pull people's hair and throw down banana peels and <laughs> when you're older you do other like there's different levels of you do shitty other things shittier you things do. other shittier people. things yeah. progressively shittier things culminating and, in inappropriate things <laughs> as he pours his stout chai latte stout it's a di- chai it's milk a, stout it's a chai milk stout it's absolutely delicious uh, the only thing i'm sad about is i don't have it on tap with nitro to make it Aww. like extra creamy but that's such a man thing to say yeah and <laughs> it's kind of a douchey thing to say i think as well <laughs> lamenting your lack of nitro yeah, like, service in your house in my own house <laughs> so um that sort of you know rub dirt on it type of of parenting for young boys what what was it like for you growing up? I mean, you grew up in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was that like for you? Like did any did did that type of of attitude towards the way boys and men should be? Do you looking back on it now, how do you feel that that affected you growing up? So my mother was an immigrant okay. and came from kind of a traditional, like, Mediterranean family. Read Sicilian. Yeah. <laughs> and and she married my father, who was several generations Canadian. Yes. Specifically because she didn't want to marry an Italian for all the stuff that she had seen growing up with her wow. cousins and things like that. You know, the kind of thing where it's like, can you iron my shirt? And she I don't would know say, if it was a question. And she would say, 
like it was like a cousin or something mm-hmm. and she would say no you iron it but you do it so much better right like that kind of like the women are there to serve the men mm-hmm. kind of attitude was something she didn't want and in a partner it, or a father for her kids yeah right okay. um and in fact not that, that's that's pretty like that's pretty progressive thinking for yeah. what late 60s yeah late 60s well it would have been early 70s yeah. at that point yeah wow. and, and and in fact i mean she was one of several sisters and none of them married an italian wow eh? they all none married, of them did they all married mungicate canadian kind of <laughs> Very, very for, very for the uninitiated. I don't know if I don't know if this is a thing in the states. Can you explain what a munge cake? So munge cake is? is somebody who eats cake, and because I guess thank you for that literal translation. But the reason what does is, it mean? But the reason is, and the way it was explained to me, and I think that this is wrong actually, as I learned more Italian. There's, you know, Americans like the quintessential American food is apple pie, right? And the way my mother explained it to me is that the Italians don't have a good word for pie, which I think is wrong. <laughs> they should have a good word I for pie. I think they do. So, But we, we have cake, lots of cake. Okay. So instead of pie eaters, it became cake eaters. Cake eaters. And I don't think it's, it's a derogatory it's, term, but it, it kind it's, of... It's an affectionately derogatory term yeah, for anybody it, that's not Italian. Yeah. I mean, when you say it to anybody who who's at least a Canadian Italian. Well, I'm a munja cake. Yeah. And, and and people have called me, my Italian friends have called me a munja cake. Yeah. And it's not meant to be dismissive. It's just kind it's of. Just, it's like, oh, you're so cute. It's yeah. like we're bunnies. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like we're bunnies. Yeah. So, yeah. so. So all your aunts married munja so cakes. So all, all my aunts married munja cakes. And so, so <laughs> my, and I think what my mom wanted was to. And I'm the only boy. I have several sisters, and the and I'm the oldest. And what she didn't want was to raise me in a way where I felt like the women in my life were there to serve me. Right, but nobody told your nona that. But no, <laughs> my grandmother's. She's still. What was she? How did? How were you treated in her home? Being the only boy. Oh, I wasn't allowed. I have some male cousins, and when we would, when we would all go over to my grandmother's for like a big Sunday dinner or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, it was expected that all the women, whether mm-hmm. they were there by blood or by marriage or by relationship status, mm-hmm. were all expected to get up, clear the table while the men sat around and drank espresso and maybe played cards while we waited for the next course of food to come out. Any grappa. Uh, no, no. no? Well, was that too, a northern Italian thing? I I don't know if it was a northern Italian thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't something that was like wine was part of okay. was part of our tradition. Mm-hmm. Not really anything else. Okay. Usually, like extremely alcoholic homemade red wine <laughs> that had to be cut with like orange Kool Aid. That was my nonna's brother's way of doing wow. it. So for me, drinking red wine the first time without orange Kool-Aid in it and also not burning my throat was a really big, you know, <laughs> interesting experience. But the, but the men of the family were, were quite literally served hand and foot well, by the Yeah, even the, if they weren't Italian, the that was the way in my nonna's household, that's the way it was done. Right. And so in my, you know, in the house that I grew up in, uh, it wasn't like, that there was an expectation that everybody would chip in and help out and stuff like that um and your dad like was he did he even though he was a white guy did he sort of buy into the traditional gender roles or did he no he, he came from like kind of an upper middle class waspy kind of family okay um and i think marrying my mom 
was a bit of a rebellion against his parents. Because... <laughs> okay. And I don't know, like my grandparents aren't alive, on my dad's side aren't alive anymore. And I never had a chance to have this conversation with them. But I feel like the perception was that they wanted my dad to marry very similar to what right. they were, like uh, like at the same kind of social status. So instead yeah. he married this immigrant, you know. This dark, mysterious. Yeah, this gypsy. Yeah. And I've and, seen pictures of your parents. Yeah, and they're back, quite a, back in a, the 70s. a striking couple. Yeah. yeah and, and I think for both of them, getting married was a way to escape the household's I think they both felt were overly restrictive mm-hmm. or had mm-hmm. overly high expectations on the case of my dad. So, so he, so he, what were some of the things that he would do that were not, you know, like. So he helped out with the cooking. Okay. You know, my dad, my dad learned Italian to okay. be able to speak to his mother-in-law. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like none of. She must have been super impressed with None that. of his brother-in-law's made any effort right. to learn the language mm. and just let their just wives turn. communicate. My yeah. dad actually learned how to speak Italian. I don't think he's great at it, but he made that um, enough of an effort to, to try. Right? And I think that's the point, isn't it? That yeah. It's just about making the effort. And so he, like, in, in the house that I grew up in, the domestic duties were very evenly split. Okay. And in some cases, actually, as it turns out, when my parents split and my dad moved out of the house, were handled entirely by my dad. Mm. So a lot of like the house cleaning and things like that. And I'm sure like my particular nature about how things need to be comes from my dad, right. you know, picking up crumbs and, and vacuuming and stuff like that. So what about you and your sisters? Like what were household chores and things like that split up pretty evenly between you and your sisters? Or were there certain things that you had to do versus your sisters had to do? No, I don't think I don't think there was anything like I remember I would do things like take out the garbage and shovel the driveway of snow and stuff like that. And my sisters, I think, would do stuff in the house. It's kind of, it, you know, it's one of those weird things as you get older. Like, there's so much, there's so much time that has passed that, like, it's, it's hard to remember what it was like when you were 12 years old. You know what I mean? Right, right. Fair enough. Because it's been several decades since I lived in that sort of house. So you mentioned that you had male cousins. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about what were the friendships or, or the relationships like between you and your cousins? And I, I not as kids so much, but once you became sort of teenagers and young men, you know, how could you could you characterize your your relationships or your friendships or the activities that you did or the conversations that you had? What was that like? So my mom was the oldest and my dad was the youngest mm-hmm. and I'm the oldest. So of all my first cousins, mm-hmm. um, so my closest male cousins are a couple of weeks and a couple of years apart respectively. Okay. And we didn't live close enough that we saw each other all the time. But when we did, we did, you know, things that kids at that age did we played video games and and i didn't it, it was weird because once once everybody kind of started dating mm. that's when it gets interesting yeah uh, and it wasn't something that 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 we spent a lot of time talking about except <laughs> mm-hmm. except when it became i don't know somehow decided that 
this virginity thing need, needed to go away. Oh. And then there was Wait, conversations. Okay, so tell me about that. Was that kind of a thing? Was it like a little bit of a, a race or a Deadpool about <laughs> Deadpool. who was going to lose their virginity first or who was going to talk about it and how much detail and how much embellishment? Well, I think, I think... How much exaggeration well, there was going to be? I think once we hit like early puberty like 12 13 14 stuff like that right all of a sudden the focus became on you know getting laid getting laid yeah <laughs> and you know and we, it hasn't stopped no it hasn't really stopped <laughs> it's like going on almost 30 years now i can pretty much bet that you're getting the most sex out of everybody um possibly my cousin that just got married is probably doing all right didn't you just say you just got married well, yeah, there. Then no. But he got married to like a lingerie model. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of her thing. Anyway. So, so, and you got to remember too, like this is the time. Sex isn't her thing. I don't know, but looking sexy is. Okay, all right. I just want, I just want to, I just want to make that distinction between being a lingerie model and being a porn star. It's very different. Well, I guess, I guess it is. She looks like she likes. She's, she's, she's a very beautiful woman. Yeah. Anyway. So. um... And you gotta remember too, like this is a time when the internet was in its infancy, right? We couldn't we couldn't just, you know, go on to some Pornhub site and and just and just type in whatever we feel like can, and get a million things. Can you please talk about what it was like to try and download porn in the oh <laughs> in the nineties, so, early nineties or so, late eighties? So we had dial up modems that made those <laughs> wonky sounds. Uh-huh. And and there were no websites per se, but you would connect to other computers that were hosting basically what was like the pre-version of a website. <laughs> and it was all like ASCII characters, like, you know, like when you make emojis with, with like punctuation and stuff, like it's, <laughs> yeah. that, it's that kind of stuff, right? So if you were trying to download a titty picture. So we would like go to these places that were posting stuff and they were like basically like you know, scanned pictures of, of like Playboy magazine or something. I don't right. know where they were getting this stuff, but holy shit. Like we would, we would start, you know, at night after the parents went to bed and then nobody was going to likely to pick up the phone line and, and, <laughs> and hear the modem going. Um, and like we'd wake up in the morning and what would happen is it would like, it would start downloading the picture in real time, like from the top of the picture down. Yeah. So, so we'd wait a couple hours and we might see some eyebrows or something. Like, oh my God. And we're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then we get like a, a nose and then the mouth and then, oh, she's really pretty. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what her tits are like, right? And then you'd have to wait until like the next morning and then oh you'd like God. get to the nipples. And then usually before you got to, to any kind of bush or anything like that, it, people were up and around the house and doing stuff. So you would literally wait all night to maybe see some nipples. And now I couldn't even type out nipples fast enough on a porn before website over, before yeah. before I'm inundated with a million different things about it. So talking about it with with your friends or in my case my cousins about, you know, what we were going to do and how we were going to go about doing it right. was was really the only way to kind of like envision like you didn't have any other kind of like visual stimulation, right? So what were those conversations like? I mean, if from as as far as you can remember, like you know how much detail would you give give out like <laughs> so there's there's a there's a british tv show about schoolboys called the inbetweeners oh i saw that movie with you, you saw yeah the inbetweeners movie yeah and i can't remember if it was in the movie or if it was in one of the series but it was a couple of boys in like the bathroom talking about this sort of stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 
one of them is pretending like he knows everything and the other one is like asking him questions like i don't know and and he's like oh yeah you know so i fucked her and then oh yeah cool what'd you do like i put the balls in like all the way yeah <laughs> she loves it when the balls go in oh and you're God. watching this you're like you've never had sex before no like, like getting your dick it's and like, balls into like a woman is, yeah like yeah like the 40 year old virgin where he talks about titties feeling like bags of sand and they're like you've never felt tits before have you like <laughs> like it's that and i think the conversations well not quite as extreme as that mm-hmm. were a lot of like the blind leading the blind like <laughs> I heard from this guy who heard from his cousin who saw this who went there who totally did that yeah who totally yeah. did that and it was like this and you're like ooh <laughs> right so but nobody really knew and you could mm-hmm. tell you could tell that 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 it was very clear as much bravado as was out there that nobody had nobody had had sex yet but I had it in my head that I that I didn't want to turn 17 and be a virgin i had to lose it while i was 16 and that just became and why, like and what why was that so important i don't know like what did it, it just mean, seem like what just, did it mean for your masculinity if you didn't lose your virginity before the age of 17 well nobody knew i could have said oh yeah i've totally like and not talked about bags of sand and and, and, and shoving the balls inside. in and stuff like that <laughs> like at that point i knew enough about this what was such a weird so weird but at that point i knew enough about sex and and what it meant to be able to describe it more or less accurately even if i didn't have any personal experience but i don't know there was just something i think it was because there was there was this like low-key peer pressure because at that point so many of my friends had or were trying to make you believe that they had lost their virginity Mm -hmm. and it was such a weird thing because there were girls in the school that were like oh yeah like like i totally fucked her and and there was this weird thing it's like oh cool well we know this girl fucks but then at the same time, she was also she was also kind of like denigrated as being a slut because oh, she fucked, stay, right? Stay tuned for the upcoming episode entitled <laughs> Women Can't Fucking Win Ever. Right? Like yeah. and 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 you know, they, they need to fuck a lot, but a little, right? Like that kind of impossibility, right? The hooker virgin? Yeah, the skinny hooker yeah. virgin with big boobs and, yeah. and, and and hips. And hips, but not too big. But not too big. Who loves who's never had sex but totally wants it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of... Unfortunately, in high school, that was the kind of standard the girls were living up to. If one of them actually fucked somebody and the word got out, she was a massive whore right. and would be would be shamed for it. Yet every single guy in school would still secretly like to fuck her because and, we and would like to get laid. And that's kind of a central feature of this type of masculinity, I think, that, that was certainly part of our experience growing up as teenagers. Hmm. Right? Um, what about... I mean, God, I, I can't even believe I'm going to ask you this. Did you guys talk about emotional stuff? No. Never? Uh-uh. Like if you got your heart broken or if you... Well, I mean, you occasionally know. you would get dumped and then you'd feel shitty and like usually... you guys be like, don't worry about it. She's yeah, a bitch anyway. Yeah, she was, she was fucking dumb or like, you know, it, <laughs> it would just... It would basically just You're be... like, thanks guys. Yeah, it would be to cheer to cheer you up. It would just be about about, you know, how shitty of a person she was never thinking like yeah but they might get I, back together like oh yeah or or i liked her for a while yeah. and now all my friends think that she's a dumb cunt and like you're like it's just such a weird way to like make somebody feel better to bond stuff. yeah right um th- and this is the thing like I, I this is why one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about this is because women are are it's completely acceptable and encouraged for us to get together and bond and talk about emotions and mm-hmm. and work through things that we're going through and i just don't think it's the same mm, no. for men but but i also think that's starting to change a little bit 
And the idea of male bonding, um, you know, the, the, the burden that's put on men and women, all the things they have to carry and work through yeah. and deal with, um, I think that women are better at, socialized to, and encouraged to talk and share mm-hmm. and and have sort of ritualized get-togethers and and I think there's even more levels. I think I think women are actually moving from just the emotional sharing and sharing about feelings and situations and kids and partners and all that kind of stuff. One thing that they never used to talk about was issues around sex. Right. And I think they're starting to move into that where they're sharing more intimately about sex and and more specifically some of the problems that are mm-hmm. emerging in their sex lives, especially with their long-term partners well, and husbands and things like that. And and it's a different time now. I mean, sex education in most parts of the world is still way lacking in terms of quality. In the Western world, I especially think. Especially in the Western world. But, but at the same time, I grew up and had my kind of teenage years during like the AIDS epidemic. Oh yeah. Time not but but where when they scared us a lot. Well, when AIDS was going like, you know, up until that point kind of like before high school, it was widely believed to be only something that homosexuals got or transmitted. Mm-hmm. But as we got into the 90s, and everyone was Every, like it. Magic Johnson got it. Who's right. a massive famous basketball player. They don't come any straighter than that guy. Yeah, and all of us so then the sex ed at the time was was pushing an abstinence message. Mm-hmm. But abstinence because if you didn't you were going to get AIDS and you were going to die. Right. Right? Like So basically holding a gun to your head. Yeah. And like saying, if just you do don't. this, yeah, this is that, the pregnancy was not the major concern. No. It was you Well, get I don't sick. think that's ever the major concern mm, of men no. to be fair, but anyway. No. But uh, suffice it to say that male bonding and I I make jokes about this because I I work in an environment It's you work a, with it's, a lot of dudes. It's a mixed environment, but yeah. I work with a lot of dudes and so I do a lot of observational research mm-hmm. on male bonding and I I feel like they need to bond over other things. It, it seems like the main things they bond over are um, cars, sports, sex, alcohol, and meat. Those are pretty much... Yeah, that covers but it. Sex is, but, but not talking about sex like... In a way that's actually helpful like to anyone. Like the sex that they're having or anything. Oh no 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 no! It's it's about oh yeah I'd fuck her and oh yeah I would totally fuck her and 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 I would sit there and go no you can't but okay. <laughs> There's no way she would let you. No, no, not if all you're talking about is like chicken wings and soccer. But you know. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's amazing how long men can talk about sports and meat and 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 avoid talking about anything really useful Related to for their anybody. Feelings or anything. Well, just yeah. just about anything that would help anyone feel better mm-hmm. about what's going on in their lives. And I've often I think I've mentioned before about it 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 blows my mind how men they don't physically isolate from each other, but I think their inability or their unwillingness to talk about what's actually going on in their lives isolates them emotionally. Yeah. And creates this 
anxiety and aggression and, and anger about what's happening in their lives and they don't feel like they can share any of it. Like I never... Like I, when things were going shitty in your in your relationship, yeah, did you talk to anybody about that? No, there was nobody to really talk to, right? And, and you talked about how close you are to how you, how close you were to your cousins, and you had friends that you had made in high school mm-hmm. and university, yeah. And you you worked with a lot of smart men, and that was just never the nature yet, of the relationship to be able to talk about those kinds of things, right? And you know what, like my dad for all the great things he's got, has a bunch of faults too. And he was never particularly emotionally open. Right. He wasn't like completely emotionless. But he didn't offer himself up as a safe space for you to no. share anything like that. No. Like I, I don't know if I ever heard him say, I love you. Really? Yeah. He says it now. I does think he says it now. You think, or does he just imply it now? I don't know. I don't know. Like he always used to call me guy, right? Hey like, guy. so yeah, hey guy, what's up, guy? Right, like, right. And 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 guy is not my name at all. <laughs> it's not not even close. Not even close to Dante. Uh-uh, no. No. Um, and so I think that you part of that part of that whole thing of guys, you know, up until quite recently. Part of that has to do with the fact, like, who is your male role model when right. you're first born? If you're fortunate enough that your father is in your life and is an active parent and yet is still not modeling an, um, any kind of healthy emotional abilities, mm-hmm. then you don't know. Like, you don't know what you don't know. You don't right, know what's right. missing, right? Right. And so... And and to be fair, like, a male role model doesn't have to be a dad. It can no. be... A significant male yeah. figure in, in yeah. One of my uncles was was a was a huge yeah, huge was, um, role model in my life as well. Yeah, and, and you guys are still very close. we're still close. He's he's he married into the family and he's since divorced and and I still You're have still a relationship with him. With him. Yeah, yeah, because because and he, and the cool thing about that is is that. You're not, I mean, you're not running into him at family events anymore. And no. that relationship is very intentional between yeah. the two of you. I think that's super, super important. Yeah, we have to keep in touch. And I've seen the two of you together and it's it's really heartwarming. There's a very, <laughs> you, he's very funny and doesn't give a fuck no, what anybody doesn't. thinks. Well, and he came he in, just, he came into my life at that, er, that those early days of puberty, right? Mm-hmm, and, yeah. and at a time when my, as it turns out, my parents' marriage was getting close to ending. Mm-hmm. And so... He kind of, on purpose or by accident, stepped into that kind of male role model mm-hmm. role as my dad was kind of dealing with his own end of, end of his marriage and right. what all that stuff And didn't was really have at. the time to, to... No. And I found that too. Like, you know, my parents split up um, quite a few years ago and I, I was a late, like in my late teens at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very... That was the most upsetting part, I think, was that because a divorce takes up so much of your emotional bandwidth. Yeah. There's very, very little left for the kids at that point, depending on how acrimonious it is or how complicated it is. So it must've been really, really nice to have, to have him in your life at that time. Yeah. Just to, just to, just to, just to do things differently. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, where I was going with the story was, was that, when I had children, mm-hmm. one of the things I made a conscious decision about 
was that I was going to show them more emotion. I was mm-hmm. basically I looked at all the things that I disliked about my father and as a parent mm-hmm. and what would I have liked to have had. Right. Right. So I tell my kids, you know, I love them all the time mm-hmm. and I'm physically affectionate with them mm-hmm. and you know, my dad was always the disciplinarian. So he was like, my mom did the day to day, but if it was something serious, then, you know, dad was brought in and he was the one that did the corporal punishment and those kinds of things. And right. I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be the the, the, the heavy, the, the heavy in, in my kids' lives. Right. I think that's also one benefit. I hate to say benefit because people are going to hate me for that. But one of the things about being divorced is that you become, when your children are with you, you are all of the things mm-hmm. all at once. Mm-hmm. You don't get to go, well, you just wait until your dad gets home. Yeah. Or you just wait until... You're wait until all I drop you off at your mother's. Yeah, like it, 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 <laughs> it, it challenges you to pl- play all of the roles and be, I would argue that it makes you a more integrated parent. Mm-hmm. Because there's no more. Well, you take care of this, and I'll take care of this. Yeah. And you—that's your job, and this is my job. No, you have all. The it's jobs. all the jobs. Yeah, it might only be for part of the time, but it's all the jobs. When but you're, you're your still kids. learning. You're yeah. still learning how to be a whole person, parenting those kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important. And it doesn't matter if you have daughters, sons, gender fluid children. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. because then. They don't, they're not, well, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a guy and this is what I do and I'm a girl and this is what I do. It shows you that you need to be integrated as a human being to do any of the things that you need to do as an adult, whether it's parenting or be in your community or be a professional, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? That that doesn't fall along gender lines necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I asked you about when things started to um, get rough in your, in your marriage Mm -hmm. that you really didn't have anyone to talk to. No. So can I use that as a segue? Sure. To, or, or, or yeah. How did you come to, um, the warrior weekend? And can you tell me what that is? Okay. So towards the end of my marriage, and I think We've talked about this before about couples counseling, yeah, and, and that we kind did, of stuff. yeah, because we in our in our we were on a break episode. We talked about going to counseling and stuff. right, and and I didn't like traditional counseling for all the reasons we talked about because there's a victim and a villain, and the role seemed to be fixed. Um, so my ex and I had found uh, a counselor that had these couples retreats which Mm -hmm. we did and then in addition to that this woman also ran retreats for women and men called goddess and warrior retreats Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize this at the time but they were often structured so that the goddess and warrior retreats would immediately precede a couple's retreat the idea being that you guys would go off do your own personal work, deal with a bunch of that stuff, and then if you and then come together to do the couples retreat at the end, okay. and hopefully you're you've cleared out a bunch of baggage and shit. And now you're ready to work on your relationship. And, and whatever. So I I and, actually have the website up here. Okay, if I can just read a little sure. little clause out of here. So it is for the modern man who may appear successful on the outside, but on the inside is feeling either numb or angry. 
Many men have been conditioned to keep their emotions in check. They mm -hmm. don't think they have the freedom as women do to express and communicate their feelings for fear of criticism or judgment. Mm -hmm. But as the pressures of daily life increase, according to research, one in five men suffer from mental health issues. And as women demand emotionally available men, members of the, quote, stronger sex have been asked to step up and grow emotional muscles they never thought they had. A man cut off from his emotional spectrum is not plugged into his full potential as a human being, specifically in his roles of husband, father, son, or professional working in any field. Our emotions are the juice of life. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. The juice of life. So, um, and then there, there's actually a cool list of some of the it's almost like a little checklist of do you, you know, are any of these things you? Right. So are you emotionally blocked, making it difficult to have rewarding relationships, trouble sharing your feelings, even with your spouse? I would argue, especially with your spouse. I think there's a lot of men out there who don't yeah. talk to their spouses about how they're feeling. Quick to anger, um, suffered burnout or stress, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, suffering from a bad divorce or marriage breakdown. Do people tell you you need to grow up? Mm -hmm. Have you been betrayed? Are you grieving a death or a loss? Trouble sleeping? Feeling lost without goals or a purpose? Negative relationship with parents and or siblings? Isolated, alone, and disconnected? Feeling like a fraud? Are you unhappy about your work? Um, feeling like you need a career change? Did you suffer abandonment? Were you raised by alcoholics or parents with other addictions? Suffering from shame or guilt? And, or emotional abuse. Um, pretty, do, pretty broad list. It's a broad list, but but what I think is so striking about that is that 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 list touches pretty much everybody. At some point, yeah. So many men. Mm -hmm. I mean, women are a completely different. Like we're. It's not that women don't deal with any of this stuff. It's just that's not the focus. No. Of where we're going today mm -hmm. I think uh, and again I think that there's a lot more support in place for women yes. to deal with these kinds of things yeah and for men this is something that a lot of them just bottle up and just soldier on and mm -hmm. if I can just work harder and try harder and keep going and do all these things my life will get better are there any of those things that resonated with you oh yeah I mean at the time so so what had happened was the a couples retreat was fairly successful. So did you do that first? Did it, we did it first. So you went. So you did it. Kind of did a reverse okay, of what a lot right. of other people had done. Okay. Um, but then it became clear that there were issues that still needed to be worked on, and so my ex went off and did the goddess retreat. Right. And then came back from it and basically signed me up for <laughs> for the warrior one. And I was like, I think, Surprise. like, I'm good. I'm pretty sure I've worked up on most of my stuff. Like, so. And that's how you felt? Like, I'm okay. Like, I don't have any problems. Yeah. I mean, I look, are there things I'd like to change? Yeah. Do I need to go to a retreat for it? Probably not. Right? right. And And there was, you know. I think that's so interesting how you feel like, I, like I'm good. Yeah. I think a lot of men feel that way yeah. before they go where it's like, you know what? Like, and it kind of, I don't know. Can it give me bigger biceps? Like, like some, and, and, and my kind of opinion on it was reinforced a little bit when I got there because there were a very wide kind of cross section of 
male society there. Like, like what? Like what kind of what? What was the gamut? So, well, I mean, the reasons were were very varied. Like there were there was one guy who had seen his sister get killed in front of him, like in a mugging or something like that. Wow. Yeah, and it really fucked him up. Oh right. My God. There were several guys there that you know were super successful in business, but were feeling like they were burned out. Like they they couldn't right. relax. They just were. They felt like they had to just keep doing it. Like they ran like six businesses and you know trying to care for everybody else but taking no time for themselves wow and there were always it was almost like compulsive workaholism yeah and then there were there were a couple of people who were there you know had been damaged in relationships Mm -hmm. and you know that i think i'm sure there was if i remember there was some sexual assault in there and like so it was a whole like abuse and yeah there was a whole bunch of stuff and so you showed up and went i don't have i was like look how fucked up these guys are right like (laughs) This is going to be easy. Right, right? Okay. I'm going to eat the M&Ms and, and, you know, do the breathing exercises and I'll write down shit in a book and, you know. And my wife will be happy. Yeah, and then everything's cool, Which right? is probably the reason you did it, just to like, all right, fine, I'll do this thing. There were, yeah, I mean, that was one of the big motivations for it. It was just to like, okay, fine, I'll do this thing and, and Okay, we'll so what were some of the, some of the exercises that they had you do and what, and what sort of started to change your mind? So one of the ones that really resonated with me was... We did some writing exercises. There was a lot of journaling and stuff. Okay. So there's like some behavioral cognitive therapy type things that and are that? done. I can't remember. Um, no, what's what's CBT? Oh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Okay. I just remember that some of those exercises were were that. You can look it up while while, while I while I talk. And they, one of the exercises that worked really really well for me or that I enjoyed was the journaling sort of exercises. Why was that? Well, so the the idea be, behind some of it is that if there are people in your life that have caused you pain, a lot of people are waiting for like some kind of resolution to that. And if they've caused you you're pain... You're talking about closure. Your closure, okay. right? And if they've caused you pain and they're no longer in your life, you're never going to get that closure because you're never going to be able to have that conversation with them. Right. I think even if you're in, if they're in your life and you have that conversation, they're not going to say the things you want them to say. And and so some of the some of the things some of the things were um, were like okay, write a letter to yourself from that person. Oh, with all the things you wish they'd ever said to you mm. and all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. And you know, pick three people in your life that you have a problem with, and then here's a, like a template on how to write this letter. Um, and then there was another thing we did where it was like, you wrote a letter to your younger self. Oh, younger, like 20, like a kid version of you, a kid version. Yeah. All right. Like, you know, all the things, all those, you know, the fears and complications and things in your life, Mm -hmm. like how to help. Cause a lot of people I think felt like. Because a lot of this trauma happened when when these men were younger, right? And somebody wasn't protecting them, okay. right? And so, that, no, <laughs> I know it's, your heart's breaking. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so here's here's your chance to be the protector to your younger self that that you that you never that you never had, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because in comparing notes with my ex when she went to the goddess retreat, some of the stuff overlapped, but there was other stuff that was completely different mm-hmm. right and so i can't speak to 
exactly what goes on on that side because it, 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 it's not like it's a cookie cutter thing. And I think you, because you're right, the issues that affect men are there are some that are the same that affect women, but then there's also a lot of different things there. And it was doing those kinds of things that actually helped me in ways that I didn't expect because some of the letters that I wrote were to my parents. Okay. And the end result of that was letting go of any anger I held towards mm-hmm. them, whether mm-hmm. it was conscious or, or not. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily forgiving them, but kind of almost pitying them for what happened. Like I, like I said earlier, I don't think anybody intends to raise a shitty child. I don't think any parent intends to be a bad parent. They're working with whatever skill set and experiences they have. And most of us are just doing the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And forgiving them of that, like not blaming them for that, but being like, your life was hard yeah. and you didn't have a good role model or understanding what shaped them before they came into your life. Well, that's empathy, isn't it? Yeah. And, it, and I think that's a huge thing when you can, when you can move from a place of blame hmm. for all of the people that have hurt you and... I mean, so many of us have have suffered trauma of varying degrees mm-hmm. from parents that, like you say, for mo- in most cases are well-intentioned. But when you move from that place of blame to empathy and understanding where they were coming from, mm-hmm. and it can range from they just didn't know to being victims of the way they were raised yeah. and just weren't at a place where they could break that cycle. And I think it really, just to make this point, I think it really says a lot about you that when you became a father, you could take a step back and say, how do I want to do this differently? That that con- concept of consciousness in your parenting mm-hmm. says a lot about who you are as a man where it's like I'm not just gonna like you know well this is what this is what happened to me so and I turned out fine so it should yeah. be fine but you know we we kids are people are fucked up all over the place because mm-hmm. of the shit that their parents did to them right and yeah. and and so that's a huge thing but that that place of of you said you didn't think it was forgiveness, but I think that it was. It's like a compassion, I guess, right? Yeah, and, and and that's what that must have felt like a huge weight off of you. Well, it's something that I've kind of reflected on over the years because it's been a couple of years, several years now since since I did that, and it certainly made my interactions with those people in my life easier because I'm not holding on to that kind of stuff. And I didn't even really think I was holding on to it. And I think that's the interesting thing is that you don't realize what you're holding on to. Yeah. And or where the anger comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 ultimately the what all of this did for me was because my biggest issue was I always felt angry. Mm-hmm. Right. And frustrated and, right. and and part of that had to do with my relationship with my ex and where the marriage was at that point and mm-hmm. where it was going and what I was having to do to try and keep everything together and then also there was these other relationships in my life like you know that first model for you in terms of what a what a you know a romantic relationship looks like is your parents right and 
if they didn't have good models, which neither of my parents did, then they can't model a good relationship for you. And what I wanted to make sure was that I was modeling a healthy relationship for my children Mm -hmm. and being in my marriage wasn't making me the person that could do that for my kids. Right. Absolutely. So, and I know you felt similar too in, in terms of the end of your I really did because I, you know, I, I think there's something really wrong about the stay together for the kids kind of reason to stay in an unhealthy Mm -hmm. marriage or relationship because, you know, well, the kids need their parents to, to be together no children need happy humans raising them and children need to see healthy relationships you don't want them spending a decade and a half or more being immersed in a an unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. and when they find out uh, when they find out later that their parents stayed together and spent all that time miserable for them or they the, the the burden that's put on them yeah a lot of kids feel very upset and lied to. Yeah, but that's a whole. That's another day. That's a whole. So other. tell me about um, some of the relationships that developed and friendships that developed between you and some of the other men. So we had to do as much as there was individual things that you had to do. Mm-hmm. There was also some group stuff that you did, like as the entire group, mm-hmm. and then broken down into smaller little groups. Okay, and I was fortunate enough and you've met some of them there's only one i haven't met there's only one that you haven't met um there was a chance because you then become an instrument in their process Hmm. and so you help them through some really heavy shit right so there's this kind of like almost like this bonding that happens because you know something. I don't think almost like. <laughs> so there is <laughs> this bonding that happens because you have now, not only do you know something about them that is oftentimes deeply personal mm. and oftentimes very secretive, but you've helped them move past it or acknowledge it or or come to a different understanding. And there's a link between where they ended up and how they got there with, and that's you. with you. I think yeah. that, I think that's so interesting. Uh, like, And you don't know what you're doing. You're just getting instructions like, do this, say this, hold that. You're like, you, like you just... No, but I, I, I think I, 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 this is something that's so um, encouraged and I think comes a lot more naturally in between romantic couples where you really, it, it's, it's almost instinctual to understand that being vulnerable with or in front of another mm, person mm-hmm. is what creates intimacy and trust. And we're so used to understanding that from the from this viewpoint of a romantic couple, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. But I think it's it's almost revolutionary to look at that and be involved in that when we're talking about a group of men. Right. Who have been told, you know, I, you know, with that rub dirt on it philosophy, right. all of their lives, and how, you know, that same life script. If you just work hard and you make money and you do all and you, you know, get established, your life is going to be perfect. 
And when it's not, and you end up feeling angry and afraid and stressed and sad, and you don't know why, like, yeah. what is that about? And so I think that's, that, that's such a, an amazing point that you make about how they come in in this place of pain and then they move through this process and come out on the other side and you have these other men that are involved and witnesses to that process. Yeah. It's almost like war buddies. Hmm. Yeah. Emotional war buddies. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that emotional war buddy. Okay. That's it. We're changing the title. The episode title is changing now. Okay. (laughs) There's the title. Is it, you know. What's that moment called in a movie where they say the title of the movie? Is that like the big moment? I well, don't know. The, the meet cute is when like the two people who fall in love, it's the moment they meet. I don't know what the like... The title cute? The is title, that what we're going to call it? title cute? I yeah. don't think so. Um, so. So needless to say, there were some very strong bonds that mm-hmm. you built through this process with these men. Yeah. And it's been, it's been, it'll be five years. It, yeah. About five years later this year. And I'm not in contact with the entire class. No. And I was, I was in contact with more than I am now. But but how many people are you in, are you in contact three. with in your breakout breakout yeah. group? Three. Out of how many? How many were in your breakout group? Oh, the breakout groups changed. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you didn't always. But work there were three with... three men that you yeah. are still in contact. And I like to call it. You guys have like a bat signal bond. Yeah. What do you think I mean by that? Well, it means that that all one of us has to do is just reach out and say, "Hey, man, I need, I need, I need I, something's going on in my life," and then we're. There. I need to talk. Yeah, and I've done that a couple of times for 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 some of the, some of these guys. There, ha- you've gotten calls, mm-hmm. a and I of made times. Call, and I made a call, and and you've made a call, mm-hmm. and and these are not men sitting in their parents' basements playing video games waiting for you to call. These no. are busy, successful, you know, involved men yeah. that are in, there in an, it's no pro- and it's one of those things where you just, they hear it in your voice. Yeah. And you hear it in their voice. Or in the, the tone of the text or whatever. Yeah, and you just go, oh my God, hey, I got, I got to make meet? some time. It's like you guys drop everything yeah. to make time. I'm not, I'm not much fun right now. I'm, I'm feeling really shitty. It doesn't matter, dude. I'll do the talking. Come on, where are we going? Like, yeah. Let's go. Let's go out and have a bite and work it. You know, let's chat it out a little bit. And and it, and it's not even that you are there to solve the problem because oftentimes these issues are not something that is solvable right away or even by you. But just giving these guys the chance to talk about mm-hmm. what's going on, I always find, have found that like if you give voice to your fear, it loses a lot of weight. Yes. A lot of its power. Yeah. So even just talking about something with somebody else makes it a less scary sort of thing. Whether it's a breakup or a career issue or family stuff or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It seems to have been very helpful over the years. But I don't think anybody expects someone else to fix their problem. These are people that are used to fixing their own problems. Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right in what you say is that it's about voicing giving you know hearing yourself say certain things and being able to talk it around to someone who isn't going to judge who's just going to hear you and support you mm-hmm. and so what have those friendships meant to you over the past 5 years and how how has that 
warrior experience changed you as a partner, as a father, as a friend? It was, it was an interesting experience. I think when you grow up, you don't necessarily, I feel like the older you get, the harder it is to make friends, to make good friends. Yeah. Right. Especially if you don't put yourself in a position where you get to meet new people all the time. Okay. If you're in like an adult sports league or something like that, Mm -hmm. there's like this collegial sort of nature. But then you're talking about sports and meet again. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's it's a co-ed volleyball league or something like that. Yeah. Right. So it, but there aren't a lot of opportunities, right? Most Mm -hmm. people, their social relationships come from the places that they work and the where they went to school where they went to school and then when they get married the partners of their partners friends and stuff like right that, right like <laughs> so you don't you don't have a lot of like chance to meet new people mm-hmm. and because there's a bit of an age range in the people that attended attend these these workshops and there's a huge professional range right they aren't people that you generally would come in contact with mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis i, mean, I was the youngest of all the ones that I'm still in contact with, mm-hmm. I'm the youngest by at least half a decade. Right. And in some cases, more. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't some kind of common ground that was there. And I came out of all of this with a different kind of understanding of myself and who I am and what my capabilities were. And the biggest part of it was where the anger went. It doesn't mean that I don't get angry, mm-hmm. but I knew where the anger was coming from. And importantly, eventually, not right after the stuff, but I knew what the source of the anger was and how to eliminate that. <laughs> you know you weren't about. angry all the time. I mean, yeah. everybody gets angry. Yeah, and I still but- get angry. Somebody cuts me off on the highway, I'm going to be, you know, I'm... Well, I would call that annoyance. Well, like, I'd get annoyed, but my pressure pressure would go up, and I would I would yell and and maybe you know throw some obscenities at them. But like, it's not like I'm zenned out the whole time <laughs> because of this, right? But I know where this is coming from, mm-hmm. and I didn't before, and that's where that frustration came from. You have said before because I met you after all of this, yeah, and you you have said before that. You didn't think that I would particularly like who you were before Mm. all of this experience that you had with this. Do you remember when, and we talked about this in an earlier episode, remember when we talked about when you wanted to do the freezer? Yeah. And you were worried that my reaction was going to be a big, like bombastic, I was expecting for you to be angry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, it was hurtful. Me before all of that, Mm -hmm. that's how I would have reacted. Right. Me now can approach things without that anger. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And can see for what it was and see that and, and be compassionate about where that everything isn't about you, like me. Everything is not being done to me right. to bring me down. There's other shit that's going on. So it's again, it's, again, it's about that empathy yeah. that, that has to be learned, I think, in, in, in most cases. Yeah. But I also think that you that experience has increased your emotional intelligence. I think so. I think so. Yeah. 
your ability to express feelings and process feelings and how to pull apart. I think it's made me, uh, certainly made me a better father. How so? Because I am more aware of my emotions Mm. and more in control of them. Mm -hmm. Look, I get angry at my kids because my kids do stupid shit. Right? Kids make messes, man. Oh, man. And, they and break it, shit. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them not to do something. They do it and then you get angry because you've told them not to do it. Right? Yeah. So, like, it's not that, again, it's not that I'm, like, just blissed out all the time and, like, everything's cool, man. Like, I don't know if I could deal with that. No, no. I you have, have to get angry because sometimes emotions. you're funny. Yeah, well, I'm funniest when I'm angry. You are hilarious when you're angry at somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm funny when I'm mad at you. It, I just find myself funnier when I'm mad at you. Yes. Than, than you find me funny when I'm mad uh, yeah. at you. Yeah. So, but but it it it, it help. I think what it did was help me be more present and and more conscious about how I'm interacting with my children. Okay. And then also helping to take what I learned through all of the work that's been done to hopefully make it easier for my kids mm-hmm. to not have all this shit that they, and i'm sure if they do my boys do a warrior retreat 15 20 years from now mm-hmm. i'm sure there's going to be shit in there about how i fucked up as a parent and how it's messed them up in some way my hope is that it's way less right than it would have been if i hadn't if done you all hadn't this done. Kind of yeah work. that's fair that's right fair. yeah so. all right i have another question okay so um coming up were there are some discussions that we've had that we're going to throw out into the ether okay about the manosphere oh yeah that's fun <laughs> can you can you speak to the difference between the sort of um manosphere Men going red pill migtau red pill swallower male men's rights movement um kind of world versus the good men project male circle male warrior um type of world what what are some of the differences that you see there the biggest difference i've see, i see and especially when we're talking about like entrepreneurs and cars when i when we see these videos there's always this blame that is placed on someone else Mm -hmm. all this shit is happening to me and it's all your fault in other words women are shitty yeah and you need to protect yourself against their shittiness and and in and and the advice that is being given is that this is you should be shittier yeah don't (laughs) be shittier than women don't be nice to women because if because they'll prey on that right and and use it to their advantage and it's this 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 that being this a good man that being a good man is a weakness. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna be a beta cuck asshole if <laughs> if you. Sorry, take a sip while I say that. But like, sorry, maybe maybe <laughs> choke on my side. But but like, but if if you if you are nice and care about your woman's pleasure and have conversations and share your emotions and and you know do all these things that that's just a recipe for you to get walked all over Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that all women out there aren't are 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 evolved open generous caring women there are shitty women out there just like there are shitty men and it sounds like these guys 
know somebody or they themselves have been raked over the coals by one of these types of women. But mm-hmm. to paint the to paint all women in that way is what I find the most frustrating about about those videos. Right. Especially because I have personal and experience. Just that, just that whole philosophy. Yeah, but I have personal experience that that refutes most of the shit that these guys and they're generally men saying about women and about the way to to be in a relationship with women and right. what you get out of the relationship if you act that way or don't act that way. Right. I I want to share a little quote from um one of the little art, one of the articles on the Good Men Project website mm-hmm. which is um sort of counter to that MGTOW red pill swallower philosophy manosphere place. It's men's work that distinguishes gatherings of men from the superficial male bonding of alcohol, sex, cars, and sports. Men's work is to go within and to free ourselves from outdated and oppressive norms of masculinity. It's waking up our emotional intelligence and being accountable for the impact, whether intentional or not, of our unconscious biases and unearned privilege. And for most men, it's discovering that we are not alone, that all of us carry shame we never created and guilt for things we never did. That all of us are wounded and we've become inauthentic to compensate for our wounds. There is magic in circles of men. The magic of men healing themselves and each other and the healing of the world one man at a time. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I feel like that's awesome. I think that's what we should all be doing. And unfortunately, I feel like there are people who are capitalizing on that kind of message. But spinning it in a way that, that is not productive i don't think that that manosphere migtow um red pill swallower message has anything to do with that no but I feel it's not about taking responsibility no. and healing and love and emotional intelligence it's the antithesis of that no I, and I, so i feel like warrior culture is the antithesis of the misogynistic mm. men's rights movement kind of bullshit that's that is Bigger than I ever imagined it was. Well, yeah, you know, you you pull that thread and the whole blanket comes <laughs> apart. No, but I was thinking... I keep picking it like a scab and uh, then I wonder why it bleeds. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I can't stop. I was thinking more like the philosophy bros out there. The right. self-help bros that are like, take aspects of that and then mm. twist it in a weird fucking way. Right. Like you're the one, the one you love to hate. Okay. Yeah, we won't yeah, go there. No. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, so uh, and this is what I find. But I still think that's better. Yes. I still think, like, because I think it, I think what you're talking about kind of tiptoes into male woo-woo category. Yeah. And there's sort of, there's sort of a growing, a growing world. The male of, goop. The, <laughs> the male goop. Yeah. And I, I know what you're saying. And I, there isn't, there's still... It's still problematic. Yeah. However, it's a lot less problematic and a lot more positive than the men's rights movement yeah. and the misogynistic kind of men's advice. Um, and, and, and the manosphere type stuff, there are, there are occasionally good pieces of advice in there, yeah. as, as we talked about in those and, other episodes. Well, which are upcoming. Upcoming, as we will talk about in those other episodes. <laughs> The problem is is figuring out if you're being led down the garden path. Mm-hmm. You know, you get some good advice wrapped up in a whole bunch of shitty misogynistic advice. Well, luckily for everyone out there, 
we're going to pull apart and unpack all of that shit for you we're gonna pull so that, that you don't have to do it yeah. we're gonna pull that thread so you don't have yeah, to strap in yeah dante is super <laughs> excited about this <laughs> how can people get a hold of us dante well people can reach us uh, by going to our, our website www.cheatingonfear.com you mm-hmm. can email us info at cheatingonfear.com mm-hmm. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Cheating on Fear. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Cheating on Fear. Lots of value added for all of you out yes. there who would love to support the, the podcast. Which Absolutely. We understand if you can't because it's weird fucking times. But if you <laughs> can and you would like to. And we got some um, stuff for you. It really helps us out if you can um, leave us a review mm-hmm. or um, give us a thumbs up or subscribe. And um, yeah, we will see you next time where we delve into the manosphere. Was that coming up next? Yeah. Oh, get ready. (laughs) Hang on to your pants, everyone. Yeah, and everything else. (laughs) Thanks, B. Thanks, Dante. Bye. Bye.